Welcome to Church in the Valley. We're going to have a little traffic jam up here. Glad you guys are, are here to uh, worship with us uh, this morning. Um, I was speaking in, in Diamond Bar uh, last week, and uh, Pastor Randy Lanthrop was here. And we closed out uh, a series uh, that we've ha- been doing the last few weeks called Beginning Again. And so today uh, we're starting a new series um, about probably one of the most important figures in the scriptures, specifically uh, the New Testament. And so uh, we're going to kind of be shifting gears, but wanted to just give you a brief update uh, on my Achilles injury. I had an appointment this past week and everything uh, is looking good from the surgery. Uh, the surgeon is, is pleased with the overall progress. Uh, people ask me how it's going. It's like, you know, my leg is still attached. And so that's the win currently. It's still attached and I'm uh, still able to be mobile somewhat. Um, but I have the cast on for about two more weeks. And then from there, I should get a walking boot that I'll have uh, for about a month, um, slowly kind of putting a weight back on my, my foot, my leg. And then by about December uh, 10th, um, I should be in a shoe again. Not that anyone's counting. I am. I actually look for an app on my phone to count down. But um, so December 10th, I might be in a shoe again, Lord willing. Uh, but I appreciate uh, all the prayers and uh, just all the, the encouragement that, that you guys uh, have given. So like I mentioned, we're launching a new series today um, about somebody that has had a profound impact on uh, Christianity. And if you're new to kind of church or you've investigated Christianity, uh, you may have heard of this man named Paul. He wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. And if you're into history, uh, some of this series is going to be very historical. And you're going to think, wow, it's great to kind of get into this world of the scriptures and kind of see the characters and the different things they're facing. If you're not into the history, we still hope that this will be applicable and relevant to you as well. So it's, it's not like you can leave now if you don't like history, because we hope that this actually will be something that we can um, apply, apply to our own lives. And that's really the goal of scripture. Anytime you look and you see what was going on in the world at the time, whether it was in the New Testament or whether it was the Old Testament, our job today is always to see, based on what was happening then, what does that mean for me now? And that's really the goal of the church, is to help people see how the scriptures still, despite being written a while ago, are still relevant. And so that's really the goal of this series, is to look at uh, this man, Paul, his life, and the different parts of his life, and and what does that mean uh, for us today. So I'm really glad that you guys are here. Uh, we, we, like the subtitle of this is The Most Influential Man in His World. And I don't know if you're familiar with certain commercials like The Most Interesting Man in the World. If you've ever heard those, um, it's promoting beer. We're not doing that here, obviously. Uh, but what's interesting about the commercials is they have all these phrases about what makes this man the most interesting man in the world. Uh, things like, you know, he, he bowls overhand. You know, he just... He just tosses it. That, that makes him really, really interesting. Um, he has business cards and it says, you call me. You know, and so it's, it's kind of funny. It's humorous. And they're basically saying, like, if you get this product, this will help you become interesting as well. Uh, what we're going for is based on what God did through the life of Paul. He actually had incredible influence And what you find is, is that he took steps of obedience 
and he took steps of obedience and he took steps of obedience. And over time, his life actually really counted for something. And his life impacts you and I without even realizing it. Because he was one of the main catalysts of how Christianity spread uh, into really the present function that you see it today. It's really spread all across uh, the world. So we're going to dig into that. So what I want to start with is the question of of who was Paul. And to to find that, you find a lot of his life uh, in the book of Acts. And Acts is in the New Testament. And it's written really at a period of time after Jesus had risen from the dead and after he had came back to earth and everyone saw that he was the resurrected Christ. The grave did not conquer him. He conquered the grave. He came back and he basically gave some last instructions to the church. The book of Acts is what happened to this early church, to this new movement of Christianity after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. And so the book of Acts is recording the acts of the early church. And so you find a lot of Paul's story in the book of Acts. You also find a lot of his teaching in the New Testament in letters that he wrote to churches. And so Paul was a church starter. Um, He started churches throughout the first century world. He followed up with them. He gave them perspective. He gave instruction. And in the New Testament, you find a lot of of his teaching. And so, like I said, he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. So Really, as you read the Bible, you a lot of times are getting a lot of perspective of Paul if you're reading in the New Testament. But I want to hear the words from Paul himself as he describes who he was. Now, the picture I'm describing of who was Paul is this is who he was, his upbringing, his heritage, his background, specifically before he decided to follow Jesus Christ. And you may not know this, but Paul was actually one of the prime people that was trying to squelch the Christian movement. He was a Jew, and at the time, as Christianity was spreading, everyone was seeing this people who were following Jesus the Messiah. And it was kind of growing in influence, and people were really doing some radical things to follow Jesus, and a lot of nervousness at the time because it kind of represented a shift in power, a shift in authority. And so Paul was at the, really, kind of the forefront of trying to slow this movement of Christianity, and so... His hand was directly involved in persecuting Christians. So his story is very interesting because you really see this picture of a man who was going his own way, doing his own things that were important to him, and how God got a hold of his life. That's what we're going to spend time doing. But I want to go over this, this description about Paul, and you find it in the book of Philippians. If you could put it there on the screen. And he's giving just kind of, here's who I was. And he says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh. So anytime you see flesh in the scriptures, it's really talking about our natural power, our natural ability, the things that make us who we are without God. That's our flesh. He says, so if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he's basically giving his resume of who he was. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, I I was a Jew among Jews. I did everything that was asked of me and more because my, my bloodline, the tribe of Benjamin, it was this, this royal, special bloodline. So he, he kind of belonged to this elite class of people. As to the law, a Pharisee, Pharisees of the time were this, this group that they took the law that was given in the Old Testament and they, they were going to follow it no matter what. They were just legalistic in every sense to prove their worth, to prove that, that they were holy. 
And so not only was his bloodline and his heritage pure, but he was a Pharisee. He was going to make sure he did everything that he was asked to do. Then he says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he's saying, I actually, by the standards in which I lived, in the Jewish place that I lived, I was considered one of the most successful people you could be. I had everything I needed. I had everything together. I had the right family. I had the right influence. I had enough power. And he had an incredible resume of who he was. So he was superior. And this is what he's describing. But then in verse 7, he shifts his resume. This is what it says. But whatever gain I had, so whoever I was in my natural ability, no matter who I was in my upbringing, no matter who I was because of what I have done, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So if you can imagine, he's giving this scale. And on the scale of his flesh, his own natural ability, he's piling on and telling you all the things that he had in his favor. His heritage, his bloodline, his life. And it just was weighed on. He was a good guy in every sense. And then what he does in verse 7 right here, he totally tips the scale. He says, everything that was in my favor, I now count as loss. It's actually meaningless. It's nothing. Everything in my flesh and my own power is lost. Why? For the sake of Christ. So you see this shift as he's writing this letter to a church that he started. He's giving them this picture of this is who I was. This is how I mattered. This is how I thought I mattered. This is the kind of person that I wanted people to see. I had everything going for me. I had everything you could ever want. But I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That phrase right there is very interesting. Because how could somebody that really in every sense had what we all want, which is status, influence, success, why would he make that statement? And that's what I want to spend some time looking. So that's who Paul was. He was a good guy. He was the kind of guy that people wanted to be. You know our phrase like, you were the man? I don't think they necessarily said that in the first century. But that's what they would have felt. Like Paul, he, he was the man. He had everything going for him. But instead he got to the point where I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. So what I want to do is I actually want to look at what happened to Paul that would cause him to say that. And so we have to actually rewind. And we're going to spend some time looking at how he became a Christian. How did he get to the point where he no longer wanted to be on this track of his own power, of his own plans, of his own heritage and success? What made him decide that that was not what he wanted his life to count for? And so you'll see in your handout, uh, there's a listening guide that you can pay attention to and you can take notes if you like. There's also a sheet that has like scriptures on it. So we're going to read like Paul's journey of how he kind of turned his life around. But it's a lot of scripture. And so if you haven't read the scriptures in a while, today at church, you're going to get to read a big chunk of it. But sometimes it's hard to track. And so if you want to take that out, you can follow along. And I just want to kind of read the story of how Paul's life changed. What happened? So if you want to follow along, we'll have it up on the screen here. So why did Paul's life dramatically change? You can follow along with me. But, but, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So before... Paul became a follower of Christ. His name was Saul. Every time you see Saul, 
That's the old Saul before he became a Christian. Or the old Paul, sorry. So that just was really confusing. So if you see the old Saul, it's the old Paul who's not Saul anymore. I'm uh, green eggs and ham right here. But So every time you see Saul, that's who he was before he was a Christian. So, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So still in this, his old life, trying to squelch the Christian movement, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So that term, the way, is an early description of Christianity. Because they believed that Jesus was the way, right? The truth and the life. The path. Through Jesus, he was the path to eternal life. So they just called them the way. That group that just, the path, they think their path is the way to God through Jesus. So that was kind of their way of, in, in a way, poking fun. So he wanted to go to the church to find him. And he says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. He had a goal. He wanted to find these, these Christians and bring them to justice. And suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? Lord, and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So I want to ask you a question. Do you think Saul was kind of ready to pay attention at this point? Kind of interesting. He's going on his way. He's doing his duty as the the righteous Jew that he was. And all of a sudden, lights flashed, and he hears this audible Voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I don't know about you, but if I picture that in my mind, all of a sudden, my plans that I had are not as important. He's knocked down and he has the attention of Jesus Christ who asked that question. So I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Let's move on. It says, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Now, because of who Paul was, Paul had pretty much his life together. He was a planned man. In fact, he was on a mission right now. He knew how he was going to execute it. Jesus got his attention and said, hey, your plans are about to change. And Paul actually didn't even know it fully yet. But you will be told what you are to do. He doesn't know yet. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless. So that's really easy to just read over. But picture that. You're with this man, and all of a sudden, there's this light, he gets knocked down, and Jesus talks to him from heaven. And those that were with him were speechless. The idea is like, what is going on? Like, they're freaking out, I could imagine. Just like I would, and probably just like you would. They're not sure what's going to happen. They stood around him, speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. At this point, I think as they were probably close to Saul, they began kind of, let's just kind of take some steps back. Not sure what Paul ate, not sure what Paul's done. But let's give him a little space. They stood around speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the the ground. And although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So he was blinded. So his eyes are open and he can't see a thing. 
So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Very interesting. The man that had it all together, that had a resume that everyone would have wanted, was blinded and could not walk without the help of the people traveling with him. So if you're Paul, this is overwhelming and maybe a little humiliating, scary, overwhelming all at the same time. He can't even see. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. That's about the story I can relate to because if I can't see and a bright light just came and I heard the voice of Jesus, I don't know if I'm that hungry. Right? At this point, he's not sure what he's going to do. You know, I'm I'm just going to just sit here and not do anything. And he didn't eat or drink. For three days. Let's continue. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So the first order of business is he's not eating or drinking, Saul, and he just decides, well, maybe I should just pray and figure out what is going on. And he gets this vision. There's going to be a man, Ananias, who's going to come to you. But for that to happen, Ananias needs to be clued in. So God clues Ananias in. Hey, Ananias, there's this man from Tarsus named Saul. You need to go help him because I told that you're going to go help him. So if you don't do this, you're going to screw up this whole vision thing. Okay? The story continues. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. So here you see Paul's reputation has spread. The early Christians knew about this man. So the very fact that Ananias was going to have to go and help him went against every grain because that rarely represented death. And so he states his objections. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who will call on your name. Remember, that's why he went to Damascus. He actually had the order. He had the power. It's like he had the warrant. You're a Christian. Come with me. You are now arrested. So Ananias gives, gives his concerns. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So the conversation continues. Go. I know your objections. I know your concerns. But you need to go. Why? Because I am going to use Paul as this chosen instrument. I'm going to use Paul in a specific way that I'm not going to use anybody else. And then that last part is very interesting because it really gives a picture into the life that Paul was about to live. How much he was going to have to suffer to be a Christian. And it makes sense. Because if your whole life was about persecuting Christians and then you become a Christian, do you think that's going to jive with people? No. And not only that, but there's things that God wants to do through Paul that he doesn't even know yet. 
But if you're blind and you're not eating and you're not drinking, but it says, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You get the sense that that's the beginning of his kind of journey. And then you're told that that's just the beginning of what you're going to suffer. You get the sense that this, this is going to be real. This is going to be tough. This is going to be difficult. And that's what we're going to spend the time talking about the rest of the series is how did God use him as this chosen instrument? How did that happen? How did he get as much influence as he got? And that's what we're going to spend the rest of the weeks doing. Let's continue the story. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So if it's not fascinating enough, Ananias decides, okay, against all the things in my better judgment that thinks this is a terrible idea, when God tells you to do it, You probably should do it. That's the whole reason we're here. We want to obey God. And so he does it. He prays over Paul so he may regain his sight. And something like scales falls off. I'm just thinking, at this moment, at what point is everyone freaking out? Like, just scales just start dropping off of Paul's eyes. This is kind of crazy. But his sight is regained and he can now see. And I kind of like the imagery there because it's showing back to Philippians, what Paul was saying, the previous life, everything that he had lived for. The very fact that he thought he knew exactly where he was going. God got his attention by blinding him. So really, for the first time, he had no direction. He had no vision. He couldn't literally see. And at this point where he regained it, the scales fell off. So it's like this representation of this old life. It was dead. And it just died like the skin that just fell off. So you get the sense like there was this this thing that happened to Paul. Where he just shifted. On this road where he was going. With his own agenda, his own plans. And God got a hold of him. And changed really the, the course of his life. And so, then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. This really right there marks the beginning of him becoming Paul. From his old life of Saul to becoming the Apostle Paul, who we're going to be talking about. And so, we kind of looked at who he was, and then why did he change? I want to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about why that matters. But before I do that, I want to just show you a a brief video so you can kind of get the kind of the time in which he lived and and how he was a part of spreading uh, Christianity. This is just a couple minutes long, but you can see kind of once this happened, what did he do with his life? So let's just watch this together. Uh, Jesus uh, was crucified and rose from the dead uh, for all practical purposes, 33 uh, A.D., And then the church uh, began, and then Antioch becomes the center of the movement, not Jerusalem. They were kicked out of Jerusalem. And then the Apostle Paul 
goes on a missionary journey. He's sent from the church of Antioch, and that's his first journey, goes into southern Turkey. His second journey, he goes back and sees those churches, and then Paul starts his uh, third journey. And on his third journey, he is raising support for the poor in Jerusalem. Goes back to the original churches, goes to Ephesus. He spends two years in Ephesus, and he writes a letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians. Then he goes back to Macedonia, which is the area that Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica are in. He writes a a second letter to the Corinthians from Philippi, that's 2 Corinthians. And then he travels down from Macedonia, travels back uh, to Corinth. And then he stays a good while uh, in Corinth. And while he's in Corinth, this is all about in Acts 20, he writes the letter to the church in Rome. Then he leaves uh, Corinth, goes back to Macedonia, goes to Philippi again. This will be his last time in Philippi. He goes back to uh, the coast and then to Jerusalem where he's arrested. Paul's arrested and he spends two years in a jail in Caesarea along uh, the ocean. And then because he's a Roman citizen, he appeals uh, to the emperor. And after those two years, he then travels and he's shipwrecked on his way to Rome, goes to Rome. And he is under a kind of a house arrest while he is in Rome. While he's in Rome, he writes what we call the prison letters, the prison epistles. And Philippians is one of those. So you could see there, each of those squiggly lines, like for all intents and purposes, you're like, oh, a squiggly line, he went on this journey. But back in the day, it wasn't like you can just kind of get on a hop like southwest, like want to get away and let's just hop to this island and then we'll do this. I mean... Those lines that you saw represented months and months and months. And at the time, when you go on a ship and you're traveling all these different places, all sorts of problems happened. And Paul experienced shipwreck after shipwreck and jail after jail. And, and so you get the sense of why that fit into about a two-minute video. And you see these squiggly lines. That represented him giving his life to really trying to spread this Christianity. And the way he spread it was from starting churches. And from helping people decide that they needed to follow Jesus too. That's what he gave his life for. And so when you look at that, there's a part in which, okay, that was the time in which he lived. And that was the influence that he had. And God got a hold of him on this path. And it kind of gets you to the point where you're like, what does this mean for me? And I want to spend the rest of the time looking at, what does Paul's story mean for us? And if you're a Christ follower, there's some specific things it means for you. If you're investigating Christianity and you've never decided to follow Christ, it means some things for you as well. Because what Paul's life shows us is is three things. And I want to walk through those. The first is that you just get to a point where you realize that you you cannot earn your way to, to God. You can't do enough good to be okay. You can't have a resume that is sufficient. And today's message is called Never Too Far From Grace. And Paul's resume is showing that despite the things that he wanted to do, despite the things that he had done, his heritage, and all the good things, he came to a point where he realized he, he came up short. And that's what Paul shows us. Despite all the good that we attempt to do, we still come up short. The reason that's good 
is because we actually can find help as we turn to Jesus Christ. And so grace is offered to those who try to prove their worth, but come up short. In Paul's day, he just decided, I'm going to follow the rules as best I can. I'm going to be as good as I can. I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to get as many titles as I can. I'm going to have my identity be in all the things that I do to show how good I am. And what you find is in verse 7 of Philippians 3. He gives hope to all of us. But whatever I considered gain, whatever I had value, it's loss for the sake of Christ. And so the question that we all have to deal with is what are we doing today? Like Paul was doing to try to prove our own worth, our own value. A lot of times it comes from we, we try to work hard enough to, to be good enough. If I just work hard and I kind of mind my own business, I'm going to be okay. Or sometimes it's just if I have enough friends and I have enough relationship, that's going to make me okay. Sometimes our heritage, my heritage makes me okay. My parents made me okay. And what Paul did is he showed that you just get to a point where that can't actually help you. Because what you find on the road to Damascus, he couldn't appeal to his heritage, right? God got his attention. What was he going to say? But my, my family, we, we've been good Jews. Was that going to help him? He was blinded. He was knocked down. What could he appeal to? Well, I, I've worked really hard here. It, it didn't help him. And the same is true to us. You just get to a point where the things that we try to do out of our own power, can they really help us when we're in a pinch? And what Paul's life shows us is that when you get to those points where you've done all that you can and you've come up short, you need help beyond yourself. And we all need that. Because we all come up short. And it may be hard to admit But we know deep down there's just things that we try to strive for and we just can't quite get to that finish line that we want to get to. Whether it's in a relationship that just keeps on going bad. Whether it's in our career where we we can't keep getting ahead. Whereas we get this part of our life together, this part falls, you know, and unravels. We just get to this point where we just can't keep getting by our own power to where we want to get. But Paul received the grace. Despite all he had done. And that leads to the second point. Grace is offered to those who, have, who think they are too far gone. There's hope as you read about Paul. And as you read about a lot of people in the scriptures, there's hope. Because if you've ever read about people in the Bible, they're pretty messed up. And if you don't think that, you probably haven't spent enough time. Because people made a lot of really bad decisions. Really bad You know, that's hope for me because you know what? I've made some pretty bad decisions. I've done some really silly things in my life. Some things that I really regret. And here's Paul who actually had his hand in persecuting the people who belong to God. But he still found the grace as well. So it's kind of you see both sides. He realized he couldn't earn it because he had tried and he still came up short. 
And he realized, despite all that he had done, he wasn't too far. And that's where he received grace, which is unmerited favor. There was nothing that he could do, but God still got his attention and pursued him. He says this in in one of his letters to somebody he was training, Timothy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He's basically saying, here's an encouragement. Jesus came to save people just like me. Jesus came to save people just like you. And Paul's saying, you, you all have heard about my reputation. You all have heard about the life that I used to live. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm a guy that's messed up a lot. But the beginning of it, this is a faithful saying. It's this idea of when you keep kind of running this hopelessness, this faithful saying, you remember it. You remember this hope. Jesus Christ came to save people just like me. That's what we learn from this Paul's just kind of beginning experience with God. He couldn't earn it. And at the same time, he wasn't too far. And that led him to the point where he decided he needed to turn to God and give his life to him and follow Jesus Christ. And the third thing that we learn just from this initial encounter with Paul and Jesus on that road to Damascus is that God gets our attention to help us live for what really matters. As you read the scriptures, you really see God interacting with people. And it's easy, especially in today's age, to just feel like God's distant. He doesn't interact like that now. But what you may not realize is that God has probably gotten your attention before. God may be trying to get your attention now. And it comes in different ways. Here's a a few ways God tries to get our attention. Pressures in life. Now you may say, that's not fair, but if you are experiencing pressure and you're stressed out, do you know that's one of the primary ways God tries to get your attention? Why? Because when you're in pressure, who you really are comes out. How you're going to solve your problems. How you're going to try to overcome all this stuff that you can't face. You get to the point where you realize, although I have all this power, I'm coming up short. That's what pressures do. It squeezes you. It squeezes you. It squeezes you like, stop it! I can't be squeezed anymore. God got your attention. So if you're stressed and you're overwhelmed, God can get your attention. There's a few more. Through others. God gets your attention through others. If somebody... God uses people to say things at just the right time. It can be an encouragement. It can be a challenge. But something clicks. I don't know if you've ever had that before. You've been experiencing something in your mind and something in your life and you're trying to kind of make sense of it and you're so inward and you're just processing and somebody says something and you're like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Or have you ever come to church and you feel like as people are talking about stuff, you're like, how do they know my thoughts? How do they know what I'm thinking? How do they know what I'm going through? Well, God does that through people. That's where he gets our attention. There's a few others. Times of transition. 
You know, you got it all together. You got everything and you kind of have your life and it's all fitting together and the ducks are in the rows. And I actually don't even know what that means. Like, I think it's bad when they're not in the rows. But when you're in transition time, everything that you have that's put together and planned is no longer put together and planned. And it's just kind of another area of pressure where we don't know our identity. We like don't know where we fit. As things change at our jobs and they transition, God can get our attention. As we transition into college, God can get our attention. As we transition out of college, God can get our attention. As we move, God can get our attention. All these things allow us to realize how little control we really have. You know that? That's when God gets your attention. When you realize how little control you really have. That's what happened to Paul. And the last one, or there's, maybe there's two others. Reading the scriptures, that's actually very, very key. Because in the scriptures you actually have the truth of how God has wired the world. And how he's wired us. And so God uses a verse sometimes. If you've ever read the scriptures, and you've read a verse, and it's the same thing. Where it just feels like God took that verse and just smacked you upside the head and said, Pay attention! God gets your attention like that. That's why you have to read it. Sometimes we want to hear from God, but we don't read the scriptures. How is he going to tell us? He tells us through the scriptures. You have to read them. And then the last one, finances. What? God can have an impact on us financially. You know, I've actually had some experiences where I think God has spanked me financially. Where I just kind of was doing my own thing and doing what I wanted to do. And all of a sudden, I just started seeing some things like where I was just never able to get traction in my finances. And I had a budget. The budget was great. But for some reason, there was always way too much month left. It's like, you know, the middle of the month and I don't have any more money. Does God begin to get your attention? Yeah, because what are we going to do? And I'm, I'm a little stressed out. I don't have any money. And you need money. What am I going to do? And that, that happens. All of these are very true. And they're very real. And that's what God does. He gets our attention here and now. And so that's really the, what Paul's showing us. These, these three things. We can't earn it. We need God's help. We've blown it, so we need God's help. And in the midst of that, he wants to get our attention. And so I just want to kind of park it here because for the rest of the series, that thought of what may God be trying to get my attention is so key. Because if you don't slow down to ask, he may not get your attention. And God is faithful and he keeps pursuing. But it actually can save us a lot of hard knocks if we allow him to get our attention early. It's like when you ask somebody and they can't hear you. Hey, Alex. And they just, they can't hear. Hey, hey, Alex. Hey, Alex. Alex. Right? Kind of gets raised and raised. God does. Tries to get our attention. And he will. Sometimes it can, we can save a lot of just going our own way for a long time. So I just want to wrap up with just 
kind of that thought. And we're going to have a, a time of reflection in a moment where the band's going to come up and, and just play through some music instrumentally. The reason we're going to do that is oftentimes we have questions like, how could God be trying to get my attention? And then we realize that we actually don't take the time to think about it. And he doesn't have our attention right now. And so we just, it's really easy to just kind of think through that without actually thinking through it. And so there's some next steps that you can see as, as uh, Jeremy had. If you pull out that connection card and finish filling that out, uh, there's some next steps. And I want to walk through those and then I want to walk through just two questions I want you to think about. And guys, you can feel free to come up and just kind of push me out of the way. just not off the stage. Um, but here, here's some next steps. My next step today is to, for the first time, I commit my life to Christ as Savior and Lord. If you've never done that, that's really what happened to Paul. God got his attention and he decided, I need to listen. And so if, if you've never decided to follow Jesus, that might be one of the primary ways God is trying to get your attention. And if you've never done that, we want to help you do that. We want to answer questions that you may have. Uh, the second thing is identify an area God is using to get my attention. Do you just kind of have a sense that, you know what, right here in this area, it seems like things keep happening and God is trying to get my attention. You don't have to be ashamed that God may be trying to get your attention. That actually could be the most important thing of your life right now. He wants to get your attention. So you have to think about that. And then the third is attend the rest of the series. You may think, I don't know if he's going to have my attention. I'll, I'll just come back next week. I'll just do that. And that's good too. Because he can continue to get your attention. And he does that. And so there's two questions that I want us to answer as the band's going to play. How may God be trying to get my attention? And the second one is, is God trying to redirect me in any way? That second question is linked to the question that Jesus asked Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What he was saying was, Saul, Saul, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you choosing what you're choosing? Why are you thinking what you're thinking? Why are you acting the way you're acting? That second question is crucial as well. Because we get to a point where sometimes we just need to ask, why am I doing what I'm doing? So I just want to take the time as the band plays, just where you're seated, ask those two questions. And it may feel kind of awkward because it may be quiet, but silence is okay. Because sometimes God needs to get our attention and we just need to be silent. So I encourage you to do that. So as I exit, the band's going to play and we're going to answer these two questions. Let me pray and then we'll sing back to God after a little bit of time. God, I pray just right now as we take this time that if there's anyone here that you want their attention, that you will do it. And you don't have to do it right here and now. Uh, you may be doing it over days or months or, or even years. And so, God, we, we don't demand anything from you. But we do ask that if there's just some things that you want to get our attention and that you will do that. And God, if you want to redirect us in any way, if there's anything that we're just doing and we haven't actually asked you about it, or we're just doing and we don't even know why we're doing it, God, I pray that you will show us that. And so we pray as we take this time that, that you'll really speak to us in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.